Hi, and welcome to Edelman Editions and the launch of our new Entrepreneurial Spirit series aimed at showcasing incredible UK founders to learn more about their journey to starting their own businesses. Entrepreneurship is about learning from failures, taking risks, and having that entrepreneurial spirit, something we want to encourage. In our first episode in the series, we spoke with Dr. Helen O'Neill, founder of Fertility Health. Dr. Helen also has a master's degree in prenatal genetics and fetal medicine, as well as a PhD in stem cell genetics from UCL. Since launching her company during the pandemic, Dr. Helen has been named as one of Forbes Rising Stars for 2021, with Hertility Health being cited as a company with world-changing potential. Today, she joins Camille Oster, head of Emerge UK at Edelman, to discuss more about Hertility Health and their plans to revolutionise the future of female health. Over to you, Camille. So, hi, Helen. Hi. Thank you very much for joining us for this this uh, podcast episode. Um, so I thought we could start by uh, you telling us a little bit about where you come from and, and how you came up with the idea for Hotility Health um, and, and what drove you to, to, start, to start that business. Sure. Um, my background is in genetics, actually, and reproductive science. So I, I have a quite a, a strong scientific and academic background and um, I came to London 15 years ago um, uh, to do my master's in reproductive science and women's health and that really was like an eye-opening uh, position for me after after doing four years of a genetics degree where most of the time you think what's this for um, doing something that was so integral to that actually affect, affected people's lives and, and babies lives and mothers lives and understanding about um, women's health from that perspective really opened my eyes. So I, I stayed in London to do a PhD um, in stem cell genetics. And again, I, look, I looked at the development of the ovary. And that, again, was just an incredible learning opportunity for me to see how susceptible we are to changes, both environmentally and genetically, that can have massive uh, effects on our, our overall reproductive health and fertility. So I um, then went on to become a tenured lecturer at University College London, uh, where I directed a master's program in reproductive science and women's health. And here I was like, essentially lecturing to those who wanted to know about women's health and reproductive science and fertility and infertility. But I found myself having the conversation more often than not and educating people in ordinary places like the pub or a cafe. And working in reproductive science, you become the go-to person for everyone um, when it comes to issues relating to their periods or fertility or uh, quite an awful lot of things. Um, and I, I, I guess I carried that burden, um, feeling frustrated that there was actually nowhere to send anyone, knowing that you could tell them to go to their GP, but the GP will not understand. And, and the threshold for referring um, when it comes to women's health is very high. Uh, it's actually, frankly, barbaric. And uh, the other option was to go to a private fertility clinic to understand about, about your reproductive, well, your fertility. And there's a, both a, a, an emotional barrier to going into a fertility clinic, um, but there's also a financial barrier. Um, it's very expensive. So I wanted to start fertility to give people the access to the information that I had spent so many years learning about, but also information about their own bodies that we could make affordable to everyone in an adult test. Great. And I know you've got quite an interesting kind of founding team. Do you want to tell us a bit about that and what it's like working with them? Yes, I have. Um, my founding team are Dr. Natalie Gatroy. She is an ovarian biologist. Um, she was actually working on um, ovarian tissue cryopreservation for women who were undergoing cancer treatment and wouldn't have wouldn't be able to freeze their eggs before the process. Um, so we, we came together in this 
mutual fascination with fertility and, and fertility preservation. And um, my other co-founder I've, I've known for a very, very long time. She is my identical twin sister uh, or womb mate, as we call each other. And she is a corporate lawyer, um, uh, specifically working in venture capital. So I was very fortunate to be able to do this with from her from her personal journey she was working 18 hour days um had no time to come off that career ladder i think many 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 of us resonate with that idea of i don't have time to have children or i don't have time to think about this actually i don't even have time to prioritize my own health and she was very much um of that of that i guess class of people and she i pitched fertility to her and she was so she, she just couldn't believe she's why am i spending my time my nights my days my weekends working for you know to get deals across the line for companies that are doing nothing and this is this could change so many people's lives so we joined forces and it's been it's been great I've I guess the the funny thing is I've been able to send Deirdre to meetings for me um, I was gonna say not telling you play on the resemblance a little bit (laughs) Uh, we are we are very identical um which is (laughs) we which is very useful because it's um we good cop bad cop um uh, so it's it's handy. We, you can't be in two places at once, but you can if you have an identical twin. Yeah, and you can throw investors off a little bit by like changing the dynamic suddenly. They don't know who they're talking to. You move around in the room. That's exactly it. <laughs> um, so for our listeners, uh, we like to ask um, key challenges. So what were your one to three top challenges um, when you first started the company? Uh, the key challenges to starting a company, I think, are finding the resources and the time to do everything. Um, you are, I guess, limited in, in the people that you bring in um, as well. Um, when you're at an early stage, you want to bring in key talent, but you're at such an early stage that everyone who joins in the initial few months, almost year actually, comes on board with for the love of the mission. We're very fortunate in that our mission is very... Um, strong it is there is not one person that we have on the team that doesn't have their own personal story that feels absolutely motivated to be part of this revolution um but i guess this so i, I guess bringing people on that you, you trust in the early stage and, and that that, are, that you can convince to, <laughs> to stay along with you in the in the early unfunded days um the second challenge i think um was um, getting investment in general. Yep. Um, nobody, nobody wants to look at you when they, they say when you're looking for money, nobody wants to give it to you. When you're not looking for money, people will start throwing it at you, um, and that's that's definitely the case. Um, I think weeding out from from my background, which was very scientific um, and clinical and academic, um, understanding who was of relevance versus who was just you know. Um, looking for an ego boost in, in terms of the investment circles was was harder. You you assume from the outset that everyone's important, but actually you look back and you say most of them were completely irrelevant. Yeah, and I mean it's or it's as important for startups to find investors that they feel are right for them as the other way around. And Absolutely, a lot of people forget that it's a two way interview for yeah. sure. Um, and we we definitely um, felt that from the very beginning we were very selective that we weren't just going to be. A tick box in somebody's femtech femtech exercise we wanted to know that they genuinely and truly cared about what we were trying to achieve and that's 
that's so that's so fundamentally important to a business because you're you have to view your investors as being part of the team because you're going to be with them for a long time um and so what well, femtech venture capital investing is something that's really interesting uh, and and still nascent obviously and i know you've you've struggled to get interest from from fully male investing teams but so can you can you tell us a bit about that that kind of investing journey and what were the things that you heard both on the positive and negative sides from investors that made you think well that one's just not for me or that one is the absolute right fit for us you know that kind of thing uh sure so from i guess from the perspective of investors being right for you what I, what we struggle with is that we are if if you look at what we're trying to achieve which is using machine learning and diagnostics and symptoms and uh, clinically led um testing tailored you know precision medicine testing from the outset if we if we were not working in women's health this would be considered a biotech um you know at, at present we can we can actually non-invasively predict nine of the most common benign gynecological pathologies if you were trying to do that for one you would be considered a biotech for that one condition and we've actually managed to do it for an awful lot and yet we get put in the femtech bucket because it's women's health and to me it's it's frustrating in a way it's insulting in another way because it is you're you're all of a sudden classified in the same genre as self-cleaning dildos and you know, like this is not what we are. You know, we are tackling a, a global problem. We are not creating a toy or um, something that you know. It, it, I don't something more trivial. And that, that's a really good point, actually. And I was going to ask you if you felt like the category personalized care fitted better, but actually, even that sort of suggest that we're not talking about the majority or at least half of the population it's not personalized care if it's about this is this is about medicine this is about clinical treatment and care this is about diagnostics um you know you would call it diagnostics or clinical treatment if you were addressing really rare condition even if it affected 0.05 percent of the population you'd call it clinical care well you're addressing something that affects 53% 53% of the global population and it's femtech. It just is, um, yeah. it kind of does a disservice to the ongoing kind of clinical trials and efforts that are needed in women's health, actually. Don't get me wrong. You, you can call us femtech if it means that we'll be in your femtech article, whatever. I'm not really, <laughs> I'm not overly fussy on, a, on, on what you call us, but it's more, for me, it's more of an acknowledgement that this is much, much bigger than femtech. But it is, it is a really good point. So how, how much education you feel still needs to happen for investors, but also for patients in general on um, female reproductive health and then not femtech, but let's say medical solutions for women specifically? I'll, I'll answer that by giving you an example of some of our, our data when we looked into it. So how fertility works is that we created a virtual health assessment that takes into account factors about your symptoms, your cycles, your medical history, if you've had previous infections, um, what your intentions are. And from that, we are able to determine what hormones we should test you for. Um, The example I'll give is if you have the symptoms that amount to a potential diagnosis, let's say for polycystic ovarian syndrome, we'll test you for the appropriate hormones for that, as well as the reproductive hormones and your thyroid function and your ovarian reserve markers so that we can kind of close the loop on our diagnosis. Now, when we look back over our data on symptoms, right? So we first ask women, what brings you here? 
um, either they're actively trying to conceive, they're just curious, they're planning for the future, or they have something's up, so they've got symptoms. And when we looked at how many fell into each classification of those groups and how many symptoms on average people had, even when women thought they were, even when they selected, I'm just curious or I'm planning for the future, they still had on average four to five symptoms, meaning that we don't even understand what are the symptoms that are actually affecting our lives because it is so ingrained in us that these are just women's problems, that these are just period pains, that we should just get on with it. And it it, it is it's actually going to be a really hard mold to crack to get women to recognize that pain isn't normal, that irregularity isn't normal, that, you know, pain, heavy bleeding isn't normal, but we just have, you know, it's, it, the education needs to go so much more beyond just your typical, we need to educate women about their reproduction. It's actually educating ourselves to be more in tune with our bodies and listening to our bodies. That's, that's the real challenge. Um, and, 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 and for me, we have, as I mentioned, we have internally embedded algorithms within this virtual health assessment to give us better insights into somebody's potential reduced fertility or potential reproductive condition. And we looked over what are the symptoms that are highest predictors of whether somebody has X, Y, or Z. And when we took a step back, we looked at the data, by far and away, the most predictive symptom for when something was up was somebody simply ticking, I feel like something's up. So you can look really in detail at all of these, you know, sometimes more, you know, detailed symptoms. But actually somebody saying, I feel like something's up, is the most powerful way of saying, yes, actually, it was such a predictor. Almost 99% of people who said, I feel like something's up, they were right. Something was up. And that, to me, speaks volumes about the disconnect we have with understanding our bodies and listening to our symptoms and reaching out for help. But also the the lack of understanding on the other side of the table with the doctors, right? Because I think it's you who were saying on on another podcast that um, endometriosis takes on average like seven years to be diagnosed because when women say, I feel like something's up or like, you know, it's not normal, doctors just think, well, you know, you're supposed to suffer once a month or, you know. That's exactly it. I think there's there's definitely a bifold um, blame at, at, at stake there. Many women are in denial about their, their condition or their symptoms. They put it off. It, it be, coming from that standpoint, it means that they're far more easily dismissed when they go to a doctor. And that's the unfortunate thing is that so many of the symptoms that lead that lead to these conditions are very insidious. Um, you know, they start with pain. We're used to pain. They start with irregularity. Oh, it's probably something else. There's a there's a kind of a self blame mentality as well that like oh I haven't been haven't been really sleeping too well or I haven't been really, you know, yeah. being good to myself or um, you know, there's always a disclaimer for why you might be feeling a certain way. But actually having the strength to speak up is is actually quite difficult when you're so easily dismissed. And I mentioned the the I said barbaric criteria when it comes to being referred to secondary care to give an example to be referred to for fertility treatment uh, through the NHS you have to have had three consecutive miscarriages which is horrific to put somebody through before they're referred for secondary care or you have to have been actively trying to conceive for a full year now if you if you think that time is of the most precious essence when it comes to your fertility and it is constantly dropping the mentality around it is just so backwards and it's it doesn't fall within the realms of preventative medicine at all and given we're such a tech driven generation uh, we're so we, we digitalize everything we should be much more in tune with 
being proactive and monitoring our, our health. And that's what we're really hoping to achieve with Heritility. Okay. Um, so, so going then on to that vision, then you, you were speaking um, when we chatted earlier today about being the Google of women's health. So what does that look like? both now and in the future and and how can we compare it to what's already existing in terms of what accompanies us in our lives it's similar to google you know um for i guess in ways it's a poor analogy because you just search thing for things on google um to, to me when if you if you asked any any woman where do you go when you have an infection or pain where do you go if you have worries about your periods or if you wanted information about trying to conceive the internet is a very vast place and it's very dangerous when you come with a set of uh, I guess symptoms because you come out with a, a self-diagnosis of something that could be cataclysmic yeah. so for me I want there to be a trusted place that people can go with their symptoms with their queries with their with their problems get tailored information and testing for them and a tailored and personalized route to care that that we would encompass every part of your reproductive journey from information to testing to follow-on care to scanning to treatment and that would all fall under one roof Um, that is where I would see the company in 10 years that we would be almost like I I hate making analogies like the Amazon of women's health but (laughs) there is no comparison really and, and yet there should be you know there should be a place that you can go that you trust is going to have peer-reviewed, expert-led, data-driven information that is not, you know, the same article that's been published over and over and over. It could, could appear in the likes of Glamour magazine or, magazine or or Wikipedia. Well, I guess you could make an analogy with the fintech space, which we do a lot of work in as well, where all these banks are trying to become mega apps where it's both about financial management, but then it becomes about your pension and your insurance and financial planning, you know, and it's both about saving and planning for the future and like, putting some money aside I guess this idea of like having different aspects to managing your own kind of reproductive health not just in the present but in the future as well that's actually a great a great analogy because we often say you know we we often say about how much money people put into subscriptions you know like we people will spend 9.99 a month on Spotify um on the off chance that they listen to one or two songs that are different a month and they don't yet they wouldn't spend that on understanding what would make them actually feel better on a day-to-day basis. And, and that is, with, exactly. with the fintech example, again, again, we say, you know, you plan all your, you plan all your spending around what you have in your bank account. You wouldn't go buying something that you couldn't afford. Equally, we shouldn't be planning our family or putting off having a family or putting off getting treatment based on just guesswork. Um, it's one of the first questions I always ask my medical students and master's students is what is the number one cause of infertility and you know they'll come back with is it genetics is it smoking is it drinking and the answer is hope we all hope that we're just going to settle down have our 2.5 kids at the exact age that we're meant to do it and then all of a sudden stars will align that we have time to do this and we're just a different generation it doesn't happen like that so we need to be more proactive we need to plan things we need to plan our um family planning around our ovarian reserve and our health in general around our reproductive um our reproductive hormones yeah no that that makes total sense and i think i mean some people might think that you then fall into the trap of over planning a little bit but at the same time as you say i don't think 
think it's about freedom. It's just to me, it's much. It's, it's a much more um, mental liberation to yeah. know where you're at rather than guesswork. And then, I mean, I, I, I can't, I can't stress how many people come to us who have been. They say I've been consumed with this since I was, you know, sixteen. They they come with the most. Some some stories are anecdotally like they they had once had unprotected sex and they think as a result of the fact that they didn't get pregnant when they were eighteen and they had that unprotected sex that they must be infertile and they've carried this worry with them for a very long time, um, or they've had a family member and actually it's just to me it gives peace of mind to understand um, to understand where you're where you're at and, and it makes sense to to just test your your health um, more than anything. No, it does. Um... So, so going back to the sort of company strategy and the different function, obviously we, we're a communications business, so we're really interested in the role of PR, marketing, communications in a young business like yourself. Um, and, and so what has been the role of comms PR in the beginning? What is it now and what vision do you have for it in the future? Um, the role of communication has been obviously integral to what we're doing. Um, we have been... When you look, when I, I talked about us as being biotech as opposed to being femtech, um, actually the language we've adopted has been much more along the lines of femtech, young and fresh, and you know, hey, let's you know track your ovaries over your calories, mm-hmm. and the idea behind that is creating a community and something that people relate to. Nobody relates to an algorithm that predicts fifty four thousand variables, even though that that's under the surface of what we're doing. It's trusted, but that's not what anyone's going to relate to. And therefore the language around that, we're, we're quite limited. I think we've grown in, in, in our evolution of language where at first we were quite young, fresh, funny, almost sarcastic about things. Um, we had a lot of, a lot of egg puns. Um, <laughs> and the more, the more people who've used our platform, who've come back to us, have, been, have given us some amazing feedback around their journeys, um, but equally have come to us initially with, quite harrowing stories meant that we are very we're working in a very very sensitive space and so that is that's been a real real learning curve that actually if you are dealing with very sensitive information around actually the results of our test could change somebody's life and have changed somebody's life you know whether you find out something good whether you find out something bad whether you find out something actually that means that instead of your plan to wait three years to have a baby you need to kind of get your skates on um I think that meant that has meant that we've been so cautious with our language to make sure that nobody is affected by it that it's it's very it's really important to us that that we learn from people who come to us and say my doctor just told me this or they just gave me a diagnosis of this that everything every single piece of information we put out there we explain what it is what it means for you and and try and put that in 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 real layman's terms um the journey that we've come to is that we've we've progressed from being, you know, hormone and fertility testing, which is a, a younger demographic, to now we're moving on to launching menopause testing, meaning that you know again we'll stay with somebody for their whole life um, as a companion that you would you would be able to predict the, the change over time in your hormones, but the language from one end of the spectrum to the other is is very difficult. So, or is it very different? So that's it's it's a difficult message to convey. And so maybe it's easier for us to be more broad and say we're the home of women's health. Yeah, it's a never ending challenge with like what we call technical founding teams, which come from the science academia space, but sell to a consumer space. Like it's like two very very different worlds, and how you translate that into 
a lifestyle brand, as yeah. they call it, is just really tricky. Yeah. I'm assuming there's also a fair amount of regulation that you have to follow in terms of the kind of health advice that you give and the tone you have. So that must be also a bit of a challenge, isn't it? Um, we are the only uh, CQC approved at home test in the UK. So we worked really hard for that. Um, we um, The Quality Care Commission is, is like the the highest echelon of, yeah. of care when you're dealing with um, patients and their and their diagnostic journeys and giving diagnoses. So we are very proud to say that we, yes, that was incredibly difficult to get through, but we it was very important to us to do that, to show to show that we are trusted. Yeah, no, it, no. regulation is, is a big thing for, for health. Luckily, we have a, a lawyer on the team. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, you probably had like that in the DNA of the company to begin yeah. with. Um, we, we're coming at time, so I'm just going to end with one question um, about what you're most proud of in the whole fertility health journey. What's your proudest achievement? Oh, my, my proudest achievement is just when I see the messages coming in from people who just say thank you. Um, it's been a really long and difficult journey for us building a company during a pandemic. Um, two of the founding members had babies um so we uh, you know having a having a baby on my lap that i've had to nurture and a business to nurture as well to me the reward is in seeing people's appreciation for what we're doing um that we're able to give people treatment that we're able to give people insights and that we're just able to give information that's been so thoroughly rewarding i can imagine well look thank you very much for really interesting discussion helen and uh Best of luck with the what's next. Thank you. Thanks for having me. It's been great.